Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of the Kingston Unitarian Fellowship, located in Southeast Ontario. Unitarian Universalism is a progressive free faith grounded in the promises of community and inspired by how we hold our shared faith's principles and sources. For more information about Canadian Unitarianism, please go to our website, kuf.ca, and our national website, cuc.ca. and welcome to the Kingston Unitarian Fellowship. My name is Alexander Kolpa. I will be your service weaver. If you're new to this congregation, you're very welcome. Please introduce yourself to Reverend Beckett, or myself, or other members of the service. Everyone is invited to stay for coffee afterwards. This service is a special occasion. It's one of the rare moments when November the 11th, our Remembrance Day, falls on a Sunday. So we will use this service to commemorate that it was 100 years ago that people marked the end of World War I. When we do come to that time, the 11th hour, the 11th day of the 11th month, we will pause for a guided silence, a silence of remembrance. If you're wondering, we will stop whatever we are doing, and that may seem a little odd perhaps, even inconvenient. Yes, I say. For those women and men who answered the call to serve, war was and is inconvenient. It is an interruption. It comes at an unexpected time. So when that moment arrives in the service, please join us for that time to remember their sacrifices and to remember that there are women and men amongst us today who are still answering that call to serve. Now let us recite our covenant. We gather in the spirit of love with open minds, open hearts, together in peace, love, and build bridges of understanding as we work together to create a more just and loving world. invite Reverend Beckett to light the chalice. We light this chalice 
in honor of the memories that hold and heal us. For stories we tell of those whose heroism inspires our own. For the pictures of loved ones who have passed, in, those, in whose images we see our better selves. For the work of remembering that we stand on the shoulders of others. <coughs> that we stand on the shoulders of others who paved the path on which we walk. And blessed, oh, <clears throat> and blessed us with advantages we didn't earn all on our own. May these memories inspire us to pass on a better world to those who will come after us. May their light guide our way. So the opening words that I have uh, brought for us today come from uh, Arnold Compton, and it's a poem. It's called Instructions. So I'd invite you to close your eyes and just receive these words. When I have moved beyond you in the adventure of life, Gather in some pleasant place and there remember me with spoken words old and new. Let a tear fall if you will, but let a smile come quickly, for I have loved the laughter of life. Do not linger too long with your solemnities. Go eat and drink and talk. And when you can, follow a woodland trail. Climb a high mountain. Chew the thoughts of some book which challenges your soul. Use your hands some bright day to make a thing of beauty or to lift someone's heavy load. Though you mention not my name, though no thought of me crosses your mind, I shall be with you. For these have been realities of life to me. And though you mention not my name, when you face some crisis with anguish, when you choose your paths of right, when you give yourself in love, I shall be very close to you. I have followed the valleys. I have climbed the heights of life. I would like to introduce a special reading. My late father, Hans Kolpe, left a diary. It's the diary of an ordinary citizen living in the Netherlands, experiencing the occupation by the German army and also the liberation by the Canadian forces. He was 19 years old and he was living in Amsterdam the Netherlands during the winter months of 1945. <coughs> German forces had occupied the country since 1940, 
But the Allies were advancing on Germany after the D-Day landing of June 1944. Nevertheless, German army units kept a stranglehold over the Netherlands until early May 1945, when a large contingent of Canadians was finally able to liberate the country. In Dutch history, this last winter of the war is called the Hunger Winter. During that time, Hans Kolpe was in hiding at home because all men between the ages of 17 and 40 risked arrest and deportation as forced labor in German factories. Adding to the tragedy, his own father, my grandfather Jan Kolpe, had died of cancer in 1942, leaving my father, his sister Femi, and my grandmother to eke out a living from a barely adequate widow's pension. So he writes on Friday, January the 26th, 1945, <clears throat> and this is actually his birthday, he writes, this is the most unusual birthday I have ever celebrated. Five years ago was the last one in peacetime. Three years ago, the last one with the four of us. None of us could have expected the circumstances to be as bad as they are now. Ever since the Germans summons us to register for labor duty, I, like most other men between the ages of 17 and 40, no longer dare go out on the street. Monday passed, visiting some friends. It's time. I was outside for the last time. Thank you. We're gonna pause just for a moment of silence. It's 11 o'clock. If anyone would like to silently come up and light a candle on our tree of lights, you are more than welcome to do so.
is what the inconvenience of war, of occupation, and also the struggle of the soldiers felt like. Thank you for participating in that moment. As I said before, my father wrote his last words about being in freedom would have been the last week of January. Monday passed, he said, visiting some friends. I was outside for the last time. And he continues, quote, The food situation is very bad. The only ration still available is 1,000 grams of bread and one kilo of potatoes per person per week. Sometimes some legumes, salt, and a little bit of vegetable oil, but nothing more. No sugar, butter, milk, cheese, meat, chocolate, cake, etc. It has been months since we had any gas and electricity. Telephone communications have been silenced. Railway traffic has ceased. There is very little fuel. Most people heat with wood. Trees are being cut down. We have only about a month of coal left. We do all our cooking on the small heater in the back room. We start the heat at half past noon and shut it down by 8.30 at night. We can't mo use more than about two and a half kilos of coal. And for the last several days, the temperature has been five to 10 degrees Celsius below freezing. Outside, everything is covered in a thick layer of snow. On Thursday, March the 29th, he writes down two very, very powerful impressions. He actually starts them as follows, quote, there are two impressions of depravity I would like to record. This afternoon, at about three o'clock, a man came to the door. A month ago, it was common for people, even small children, to appear and with a rehearsed pleading tone ask for a slice of bread. Sometimes they already had a bag full and the bread was then sold on the black market, or resold rather. The man this afternoon didn't need to say or ask anything. He was hunger personified. He asked for some food. I hesitated, said no initially, and then talked with mother. In the end, he got some potatoes. He was the epitome of misery. He would merely have to close his eyes to die of starvation. The second picture of depravity was that a man, victim of a hit and run, was lying unattended at the intersection of Beethoven Street and Finkelis Cave for over 45 minutes. The municipal emergency service no longer has ambulances. If they come at all, it is with a horse-drawn cart. Finally, the man was taken to a nearby clinic on a hand gurney. As the liberation came closer, it is clear that my father had access to friends who were able to listen to the BBC 
and notes about the Allied advances appear frequently in the diaries. On Friday, May the 4th, 1945, my father reports, quote, We had gone to bed at about 8.30, but sometime later there was shouting on the street. Then the doorbell rang several times. I went to the door in my pajamas. A friend from next door was there, very excited. The BBC had reported that Field Marshal Montgomery had signed an armistice with the German Supreme Court command and that all German forces in Europe had agreed to an unconditional surrender. We got dressed and went into the streets to celebrate with the whole neighborhood. Two days later, Sunday, May the 6th, 1945, he writes, This morning, there was a service in the Remonstrant Church, led by Reverend Sirks and Modermann. The church was filled to capacity. The mood in the city is one of relief, especially now that we know the Canadians will reach Amsterdam tomorrow. All the flags make for a festive atmosphere. Tomorrow will certainly be the greatest expression of joy. Unfortunately, the Canadians would come a day later, due to difficulties clearing landmines from the access roads to Amsterdam. So it is on Tuesday, May 8, 1945, that he writes, and he actually puts the English words, Victory Day, at the head of his entry. He says, quote, This morning, columns of Canadian vehicles and tanks moved through Churchill and Apollo Avenues. They were destined for Harlem, a city further west. Masses of people crowded all the vehicles. It took them several hours to rumble through the streets. By noon, the traffic thinned somewhat. By one o'clock, several trucks and tanks had moved along the Hubba Quay, clearly visible from our own front window. This afternoon, we used up our last real tea. It's a marvelous, almost unbelievable idea that the war in Europe has now ended. Thank you, Alexander, for the labor of love translating your father's diaries and sharing those memories with us. The German historian Daniel Schoenflug just published his book, A World on Edge, last month. He writes about the history of Europe and he explores how episodes of prolonged war are oft followed by episodes of prolonged peace. But then he points out, quote, but once the generation with living memory of fighting had died, the next war came along. History teaches us that when the generation that experienced war dies out, caution diminishes and naivete towards war increases. End quote. The philosopher, poet, and painter Etal Adnan does not deny this, but takes us down a slightly different path when she says, quote, is memory produced by us 
or is it us? Our identity is very likely whatever our memory decides to retain. But let's not presume that memory is a storage room. It's not a tool for being able to think. It's, it's thinking before thinking. It also makes an apparently simple thing like crossing the room possible. It's impossible to separate it from what it remembers. Memory is intelligent, she continues. It's a knowledge seated neither in the senses nor in the spirit, but in collective memory. It is communal, though deeply personal, involved with the self, though autonomous. Memory is at war with death. End quote. Communities and faiths and nations all carry the stories of their pasts. And these stories shape not only their understanding of themselves, but also their future. Our society is at risk of forgetting, which would ultimately be a denial of the very theological roots that grow out of our principles and ground us as a community of faith. Most specifically, our sixth principle where we we strive to live holding a goal of world community with peace, with liberty, and with justice for all. In the age of social media and instant news feeds, I'm curious to see if Schoenflug's assessment bears out in the 21st century. And history is an important educator. Should we use it that way? We can choose to use memory not as a tool for thinking, as Admin admonishes us not to do, not as a storage room, but we can turn to memory and find the intelligence of the collective. If everything that is our today has causes and conditions, to use Buddhist theological language, How can we use history to create the causes and conditions for the future we hope for? How can we use our memories of the wars of the past century, our parents' memories, our grandparents' memories? How can we use our memories that have come to us from all who are beloved to us, who've been called to serve their nations, to create the causes and conditions of the future our faith has called us to build. The final, last living World War I veteran here in Canada just passed away. That living memory is dead. But it doesn't mean that our collective's memory must be as well. This is the benefit of Remembrance Day. Meister Eckhart wrote, if the only prayer you said was thank you, that would be enough. 
If the only prayer you said was thank you, that would be enough. This is one role for this annual moment of remembrance, to pause, to say thank you, to hear the stories, to remember the wars and the suffering of war and the cost of war, to pause and grieve as a national community and the innumerable villages and towns and cities that carry the deeply personal suffering that comes with monuments and the many names that are on those monuments and the families that remain remembering those loved ones. This day also gives us an opportunity to heed the cautions held in the study of the 20th century and to turn against that route for the sake of those called to serve, for the sake of our faith. We can choose to listen to one another as we remember, even if we have different ways of interpreting and understanding the world around us. We can notice when fear is driving people more than love and invite them and ourselves to pause. We can help people feel heard, even the fearful, even the lost. We can keep the voices of the historically marginalized and oppressed in our hearts by recognizing the things that are being said. We can choose to leverage privilege through action every day. We can tell our politicians to stop using their own fear and ignorance to widen the divides between us. And we can vote them out if they fail to bring us all into the aisles. What are the ways that you can think? What are the ways that you can think of to undermine forgetfulness and lean into the intelligence of collective memory? are we? But let's go past that. Let's let that one go. And let's go beyond it. What is the world we want to leave our children? What is the world we want to leave our children's children? Etal Adnan also wrote, the universe is itself the glue that keeps it going. Therefore, it is memory in action and in essence, in becoming and in being. Because it remembers itself, it exists. Because it exists, it remembers. I did name that Atal Adnan was a philosopher, I believe. A philosopher and a poet and a painter. Because the universe remembers itself, it exists, and because it exists, it remembers. Just as we choose to remember this weekend those who have served and continue to serve Canada during times of war, conflict, and peace, 
so that we can learn from their call to serve, so that we can work harder and be ever more impassioned, so that what we leave behind is a world where the loss of every service member can truly make a difference year after year. A culture where the deaths and the hardship and the cost of the wars of the 20th and 21st centuries means that perhaps our great-grandchildren's great-grandchildren will know a world where war is rare. What would it take to prove Schoenflug wrong? To use media and say, no, in the age of the World Wide Web, we're not going to forget. I will close our few moments together with a reflection from the UU minister Heather Janules called We Remember. Spirit of life and love, God of memory, mourning, and history, bring before us the truths of serving in war. Bring before us in compassion and in gratitude those who faced violence so we may know peace. We remember these sacrifices through monuments. We remember these names carved into stone. Inscribe them on our hearts this day. Inscribe them on our conscience every day. So like the stone that bears their names, freedom from violence may endure in our nation and around the world. Hariom Shanti Shalom, peace. Blessed be. And I would invite you to reach out to the people around you and connect and hold hands or hook elbows or lean on each other. This was pretty heavy stuff today. Lean on each other. And I have these closing words for us. May we remember that we never walk out into the world alone. We stand on the shoulders of brave and generous ones who have gone before. We walk beside companions ready to catch us when we fall. We hold memories of dear ones in our hearts who keep us connected to our center. May we make this our most important work to remember that who we are does not end at the edges of our own skin. Amen, and blessed be. Thank you for joining us for this Sunday service podcast from the Kingston Unitarian Fellowship. Please feel free to check back each month for additional episodes, and if you're able to contribute financially to this community-supported enterprise, we would deeply appreciate your generosity in any amount.